Hello and welcome to Something Who. So I'm talking this evening with a true renaissance man. Toby Haydoke is a stand-up comedian, actor, writer, compare, podcaster, commentary and convention panel moderator, all-round Doctor Who treasure and what we'll concentrate on here, frontman for Doctor Who DVD and Blu-ray extra films. Good evening, Toby. Good evening, Richard. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, it's it's, Good. it's it's extraordinarily kind of you to spend some time talking to us. It's a pleasure. You you ask an actor to talk about themselves, they tend to jump at the chance. Ah, oh, splendid, splendid. So, as you know, I, I spoke last week with Chris Chapman about yeah. some of these films. So I got his perspective from behind the camera, and I thought it'd be interesting to see and compare that with what your experience had been in front of the camera. Yeah. And, and I guess... If it's okay with you, winding back a little from from the ones I discussed with Chris, I, I watched for the first time a couple of days ago your film Living with Levine. Yes. Which, which is quite an extraordinary film. It's very entertaining, but it is also um, a little bit scary. And, and I, I wonder what the experience of that was for you. It was, it was interesting. I, I think we learnt a lot on that one because I, I think we wanted to have fun and we knew that john would be fun yeah we certainly weren't setting out to make a fool of him no and in fact john left a message for me on my phone today so we're friends there's no you know so there's no no suggestion that uh, he was a stooge no no but we did go but that was that was a suggestion that 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 has been made a couple of times there was a very i thought at a time when all doctor who documentaries on dvds were sort of people not remembering something and a talking (laughs) uh, you know in a series of talking heads i thought we'd really pushed the boat out and done something different and we got a really ungenerous and rather snarky review in doctor who magazine of all places that sort of said well it seemed like they were just uh take they were there to take the mickey out of him and then it turned out that they liked him and we were like well yeah so we weren't actually there to take the mickey out of him we you've given us a bad review for doing what you thought we were doing but we actually weren't but anyway i i I simply say that because we were nonetheless aware that john john at conventions and john on his dvd commentaries is a law unto himself Mm -hmm. and at that stage he only did dvd commentaries on his own right and so how do you change that dynamic when you have him with somebody? Well, you can't do that when you're doing a, a, a straight-up talking heads kind of thing. Mm. And I'd love to say it was my idea and it was Chris's idea, but actually I was on a train from <laughs> Bath. I think I'd been doing a gig somewhere, and a packet of Haribo landed on my my train table. Mm. I'd set up to play, do stuff on my laptop because if I have a long train journey, I like to do some work and sort of set myself in for the duration. And uh, this packet of Haribo landed and this guy went, uh, they don't have any jelly babies in the buffet car. I just want to say like the, you know, like the DVD stuff that you do. And I was like, oh, that's very nice. A Doctor Who fan make himself known. And he said, you know, anyway, I don't bother you on the journey. I said, no, it's fine. I'm just, you know, it's not lovely to have, you know, to say hello. Mm-hmm. And he said, why, why do, cause John Levine is this, this sort of character. And because he only does the solo commentaries and stuff, why not try and do a sort of Louis Theroux type of weekend with him? Because uh-huh. he's that bigger character. But also with John, and he and this is nothing I wouldn't say to him and nothing that he hasn't said to me, a lot of that front and performance does hide somebody who has, you know, depth and yeah. and 
contradictions and all those sorts of things that I don't think are necessarily too well hidden, but I don't think they're particularly well explored. Mm. And and sometimes I think he gives the impression that he doesn't mean to give. And and, and some and I, again, a, a third party could sort of pull that out in a way that if John was left to his own devices, he might not. Mm. But but that's this guy didn't David Chandler. He's called. Uh, he didn't go into that much detail. He just went, why don't you do a, a Louis Theroux weird weekend with John Levine? And I rather sort of did a sort of slightly showy off thing and I, I sort of texted did I text Dan Hall no I think I texted no I texted Chris Chapman uh-huh. and said why don't we do a weekend with John Levine and I and I showed this guy on the train I said look I've sent a text you know I've, I've got the ear of the DVD people and I was just being a bit of a twit really <laughs> um, but before the journey was over I'd got a message back from Chris going I've pitched it to Dan and he thinks it's a great idea <laughs> so I was able to sort of tell to David look this doesn't normally happen this quickly but this this might be happening and yeah. it was originally intended because they were bringing out the moon base on DVD oh, yes. and I think they were yeah. and Chris was doing the making of the moon base and that was John's first uncredited appearance yeah. in Doctor Who was in the film sequences as a Cyberman. Mm. So it was going to be for that, which is why you'll hear in the opening narration, I actually do a bit where I go, John's first appearance was in the moon base. <laughs> and the emphasis on the moon base is if to say, this DVD that you're watching. Right, and then, yeah. then they decided to do the special editions. And I think the Claws of Axos was a bit light. Mm. And they went, oh, let's bung it on that instead. Of course, John, John does a bit more in the Claws of Axos. So it went on, on that instead. Mm. And, and in terms of the making of it, I think I would do it. I think Chris and I would both do it slightly differently now. I think I maybe tried to to force it a little bit, and actually, I I, I think I think I should have taken a, a a bit of a step back. I think I was too keen to to sort of to to, to get involved in a way and 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 make it and sort of jolly it along. And I think a, a slightly softly softly approach might have been better and we had a couple of sequences that we filmed where uh, I tried to get to the root of stuff and I and I don't think I did a particularly good job and they didn't really really make it in I mean it's still a, a an interesting and fun film and we definitely mm. you know had the honorable intentions but I think I was try- I was perhaps being a bit too arch I was trying to make it a I was trying to force its eccentricity if you like rather than yeah. just let it be and you know, there's nothing worse. Forced eccentricity is not eccentricity. It's uh, it's you know, it's pretentiousness. But but that that was my inexperience, I think, speaking out. But I still, nonetheless, think uh, as it stood at the time and and the sort of DVD extras that were being made at the time, which were all pretty much of a type. Yes. You know, we we went to try and do something different and to try and capture a guy who, you know, his his DVD commentaries had certainly generated comment and I mm-hmm. and, and had gone unchecked. And I think to have to have John there with somebody being able to go, well, actually, John, that's not quite true, is it? Or, oh, come on, John, and pulling him back slightly yeah. or, and pushing him in different directions, I, I think was a legitimate way of trying to get to grips with a guy who, if nothing else, is totally different from his Doctor Who character. Yes. You know, Sergeant Benton is, you know, this sort of down-to-earth, stoical, slightly put-upon, loyal Labrador type, whereas John is prone to sort of hyperbole and, uh, and and sort of extremes of emotion where he'll be hugely sentimental one minute and then unnecessarily furious the next. <laughs> uh, and I thought that was, you know, that was worth having a, a look at. And John likes it and me and I like it and John. But, uh, uh, you know, he I think he knows that uh, he can sometimes, he can sometimes get carried away with himself. Hmm. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's quite clear that once or twice, you you get a little peek through through his carapace, 
and you do show towards the end that he is self-aware as, as well. It, you know, he he's, he's not unaware of the fact that that he gives out strange kind of vibes on occasions. Yeah, and, and I think he was savvier to the type of documentary it was than I perhaps got into it giving him credit for. Mm-hmm. He he was a much more sort of knowing participant mm. than perhaps, say, a lot of Louis Theroux's um, subjects yeah. are. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, John is an actor and he's he's been in the profession long enough to know when to give the impression that he wants to give. So it wasn't... I th- You know, I think those things work best when the subject is slightly unaware of what this idiot savant is is drawing out of them in the case of Louis Theroux whereas with with me and John it was a bit more sort of banterish and, and certainly a bit more you know certainly on his part with a with a bit more savviness and knowledge of the of the format than mm. perhaps the Louis Theroux type thing and actually as you know as we say did with the 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 Matthew Waterhouse one which I know you want to come to later but but that was much more get Louis through out of your head Toby and do what you know my friend said to me years and years ago which is the best advice I'd ever had as a stand-up which is just be yourself and do yeah. what you do and and I think you know that takes sometimes takes you a long time to discover that the the voice you speak in best is is your own and mm-hmm. I think perhaps I was too conscious of trying to do something a little bit different with with Levine if I had a criticism of it but that's that's only a criticism of me it's not a criticism of John or of of Chris who made who, who worked very hard to make a good film there mm-hmm. okay if we move on, then the next one that, that I had a look at was Looking for Peter. Yes. So so again, uh, Chris mentioned this as, as one of his earlier films that was a bit different uh, in the range. It, I mean, it's got, a, it's got a very warm feel to it. And I think also, I mean, of interest to fans, I mean, I, I think everyone who's a fan gets to the point where you, you kind of know everything you're going to know about Doctor Who itself, but but you realise that there are actually other angles and other things to find out. And that's a lovely exploratory piece. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't know how much of the way it rolls out on the screen is artifice and how much of it is, you know, that's exactly how, how you found it and researched it. But, but it's, it, you know, it's a very interesting film. No, that's exactly how it happened. I mean, I, it remains, I think, my favourite simply because of of sort of what it stands for, and it is it, it is genuinely one of the few documentaries on a Doc Two DVD where we actually found out something that nobody up until that point knew, or you know, nobody in the world of Doctor Who writing and research mm. knew. And I, I mean, by this point, I didn't think I'd been making any more stuff for the range because I'd done because I'd done one called Robophobia for a chap called Richard Hitman who I uh, Higson who I'd got to know and was a nice guy and he asked me to present one and I was already doing commentaries by that point and thought they were my thing so I my thing so I did this one called Robophobia which is a bit of a sort of jokey filler yeah and I thought well that's nice because it gets me on screen at least I can say I've I've done one in the flesh yeah. and it was nice of R- Richard to ask me and then Ed Stradling got me to do one on Resurrection of the Daleks and it was simply because that was an actor one and he needed to do something that was easy to edit because he'd got a big job on this other big documentary he was doing for the range. Yeah. So he went, well, if, if Toby just interviews five actors, they're easy to edit because you don't have to keep chopping forwards and backwards. You chop one interview, you chop the other interview. Yeah. You chop. So got so it. I was I was there to make it easy for him. I, <laughs> I knew it, I, I knew Ed socially, but he'd you know he tended to get quite highbrow presenters for some of his stuff, like Sean Lay and Matthew Sweet, because they're you know proper professional. And, and and Ed likes the sort of doing the sort of political stuff, mm-hmm. and they're both presenters who know the political background. 
and things. So I, I thought those are very much of anomalies. And then when Chris joined the range, I didn't know Chris. So there was this new guy who was suddenly on the range. And I thought, well, that's it for me then, because there's this guy I don't know from Adam and he doesn't know me. So, you know, he's going to have his own people. And we, we met up about something and I can't, he asked to meet me. Uh-huh. And so that's how we got to know each other. And, and I think he asked... You know, he asked if I had any ideas for the range, and I did. I had the idea that we should, for the sensorites, where we weren't going to get a very interesting making of because mm. all the actors were ancient or dead, yeah. and we'd got all we'd got everyone that was available pretty much on the on the commentary. Yeah. So you didn't want to recycle that. I used to hate it when the commentary and the documentary <laughs> yes. had the same people on. Yeah. And I said, why don't we do a, a who do you think you are? But because the writer and the director uniquely were both dead before Doctor Who fandom got organised. So yeah. Mervyn Pinfield, who directed the first four episodes, and Peter R. Newman, who wrote it, were both dead before mm-hmm. Doctor Who fandom could interview them. I knew Pinfield's son was about, but other than that, he was still a bit of a mystery man of, of Doctor Who. Mm. Nobody knew that much about him. And Peter R. Newman, nobody knew anything about him. Yeah. And I, I pitched that to Chris, and he said... Yeah, although there's been some stuff about Mervyn Pinfield recently and a little bit more stuff had crept out. And he said, why don't we just, and this was the right call, why don't we just concentrate on the one guy, on the Peter R. Newman? And then I I had to sort of take a step back because, and as you asked, you know, how much did we find out in real time? I didn't really know any of what was going to happen because I had to find it out. Yeah. as we went along. Sure. And, and Richard Bignall, you know, did a lot of the behind-the-scenes yeah. beavering away. And we actually cancelled the documentary, but with about a week to go, Chris said, look, we've not found anything. I don't, I don't think this can happen. We might have to do a Talking Heads making of. So I emailed Richard and said, oh, I understand you've been looking and you've drawn a blank. Thanks for trying. And he went, I've got one more avenue. <laughs> it's, it's not quite dead. And I went, oh, okay, brilliant. Yeah. And then it was back on. Right. And Chris, Chris sort of came around and, and told me, where we'd be heading and what we'd be doing and say, you know, we're going to go to this record space and we've got... And, and, I, and I knew that there were that were relatives alive that I would be speaking to. I didn't know about the voice recording. No, uh, no. Uh, and, and that was genuinely the first time. It's the bit I hate of the film. I say wow twice and I have a very Shropshire O of a vowel. So I go, <laughs> I go, and I hate the way I say wow and I say it twice. Uh, what a pathetic, what a bad piece of presenting that is to use the word wow. What a, what a, what a naff word and I say it twice. That's a really key moment. But anyway, so but that, that's because it was live. It was, yes. uh, he gave me this thing, played it in the thing. But for what, again, what it stands for in the range Instead of going, let's just get people who clearly don't remember it to go, oh, it, it, it was marvellous. Because uh, I, I did the commentary on that, and it was the longest two and a half hours of my life. <laughs> and uh, and we got a lot of people on it, but none of them remembered it. <laughs> and, and for what it stands for, and the fact that we solved a mystery. I mean, yeah. it's, it's sad. Time won't be kind to it, because now on Wikipedia, on, on, on IMDb, of course, as soon as it's out, some... Blooming internet gremlin goes, oh, I'll update. I, I, I think you'll find I'll put that in correctly. Uh, and so, so you know, people watching it now uh, will have been able to find out that information, but that information wouldn't be there if it, if it weren't for, yeah. you know, what we'd sort of d- dug out. And we got his face and we got yes. his voice and we got his sister and we got his, his, his knee. And, uh, yeah, I'm really pleased with that one. And I think it's a sweet, it's a sweet thing to have done. Yes. Yeah, and and I think I think it works brilliantly. I mean, t- to be honest, it it wouldn't matter to me a jot if all that was were out on the on the internet now, because you know fundamentally, 
you know my my fan knowledge is probably stuck in the sort of 80s or 90s so as far as i'm concerned i don't know anything about him and and, and i find it out by by looking at the um, documentary so that's great oh good good and and because it was it was actually something that i had been my idea and i'd been quite proactive about so cuz cuz you know with the commentaries i just turned up and did the ones that they they asked me to do yeah. so so to have actually had a piece but again because that was my idea and of course i was going to present it I thought, well, that'll be that. That's the that's that's a that's a, the last one. Everyone I do, I sort of think of as being the last <laughs> one because I can't think they'll ha- possibly have an idea, a, a reason to employ me again. Hmm. But uh, I've 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 done quite a few last ones. I'm quite lucky. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think we all have that kind of sense. I mean, I, I remember I was fortunate enough when I was uh, in my teens. To go to Cambridge University, and every term I thought they're going to find me out this time. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll send me packing for sure. And somehow I managed to uh, muddle my way through to graduation. And I, you know, I think it's the same in, in in a lot of walks of life. Actually, what you do is a lot better than you imagine. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I've I've been a stand-up comedian for ha- a professional stand-up comedian <laughs> for half of my life this year and i yeah. i still think that's that sort of thing i'm i'm playing at doing whilst uh, i i wait to do something probably what is it they say real life is what happens when you're making other plans but mm. uh, i never sort of would have you know i was always a bit shy about saying oh i'm a comedian because i didn't sort of feel legitimate but uh, i must must be doing something right nobody nobody asks you to do it as a charity you know <laughs> but uh, i they still have that imposter syndrome you know yeah 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 indeed so i'm aware that you that you also did one with the havoc uh, stunt team but i was unable to find a copy of that to look at before we did this oh! talk oh that's great fun but i'm very happy for you to talk about it Oh well, dig that out. That's a that's a good one. That was Chris's idea, and this is this is where Chris, being a proper television director, really comes into the fore because you know he didn't just go, "I want you to interview the Havoc people," and I I sort of knew Derek Ware, and I, Derek Ware had actually been the fighter ranger on a on a play I'd done as a as a youngster, so he'd actually taught me to to fight and die, and so so Derek and I sort of went back. A bit, mm-hmm. so I've always felt there was a connection with him. He was one of the first Doctor Who people that I I ever met, right? And so he always had a bit of a special place in my heart in in, in that regard. And I think I'd suggested getting him in on a couple of the early DVD commentaries because because the, the Havoc guys hadn't been on much. And then and I know Chris had enjoyed working with them on the Ambassadors of Death right DVD because they're in his documentary and they're also on a couple of the episodes of the commentary. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think he'd found them good fun, and he went. But you know we can't just you know, we don't just want to interview them. We want we want a stunt involved. And he and and so it was. He just he I I can't remember how it came about. But he I think he must have just rung me up or dropped me a line and said, um, "Can you?" Uh, I think we must. I think we filmed it at the same time as we filmed the Levine one. I think we had two on the right. go at the same time. Right. I think I could be wrong. I think they were done two weekends apart. Mm-hmm. And he had this idea that I was going to reunite the Havoc guys for one last job. <laughs> uh, and because they're all very old men, yeah. that that job was going to have to involve me jumping off a, an 18-foot tower. And uh, I didn't really think about that side of it all that much. Again, it was a, you know, will you present a Doctor Who DVD thing? And I'm yeah. like, absolutely, I'd love to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was anywhere on the day that I went, is this a- <laughs> Is this a good idea? And I was, you know, I mean, he's he's a he's a responsible man. There was a nurse there. 
which on one hand makes you go, well, that's very responsible <laughs> of him. And then the other hand goes, but you think you need a nurse? Um, yeah. And the boys were great because I'm, you know, I'm not a robust kind of guy and they're all old sweats, you know, who've, uh, who've tumbled off all sorts of things, but they were very sweet with me. Mm. And it's there's a lot of camaraderie there and I, I, still, I still speak to Derek Martin and uh, Roy Scammell from mm-hmm. time to time. Derek, we're sadly no longer with us yeah. now. But it was a... Uh, it was a good old capture. I like the characters, you see. I think that's the, the key to the stuff. I, I wanted to be an actor when I was younger, and I was interested in the actors of, of Doctor Who because cause I was sort of drawn to them as, as people. Mm. And I think things like the, the, the Havoc documentary, you, you get a sense, as well as getting the Doctor Who anecdotes and having you know, a nice showcase for clips and things, mm. you, you, get a, you get a sense of these, these geezers who are all fantastically interesting and nice fellas. So, no, dig that one out if you can. It's good. Yeah, I will do. I, 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 um, I think that the special edition of Inferno isn't it. I think it's a little yeah. bit kind of thin on the ground, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure I could probably get a second-hand copy. Uh, I just couldn't get it, couldn't get it fast enough. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's good fun. Yeah, I forget. Yeah, because that was on the special edition as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so, so one that I that I did see was on the special edition of the um, Enemy of the World. Yeah, so on the special edition oh, of, the, yes. of the Enemy of the World, does. There's, there's the documentary Treasures Lost and Found, yeah, which I, mean, I guess has something of the, of the same quest thing as as the Looking for Peter, although it's a, it's a little bit more complicated with the with the riddles. I mean, there's there's some some lovely interviews on that. I mean, I think in particular the the, the two that spring to mind are with David Troughton, because because we get perhaps a more revealing documentary for or, or interview rather with David than than perhaps I've seen elsewhere. And also the the bit at the end with uh, with Sarah Lismore and, and her daughter, but uh, yeah, I mean you know the ones with Mary Peach and Sylvia James are, are lovely as well. That was Ed is a brilliant program maker, but he's not very interested in making talking heads. You know, it's very difficult now to do a talking heads on a on a sixties story, and he uh, and I think they really wanted him to do it because he makes really good programs. Mm. Uh, and, and he said, "Well, I want to do something that's going to be interesting, really." Yeah. Uh, and it's not enough just to stick a camera in front of people mm. now. So he came up with this idea and and thought I'd be the guy to do it, which is very nice of him. You know, I'm not I'm not going to question. I always think, shouldn't you offer the opportunity to somebody else? And Ed goes, no, I want you to do it. I go, oh, okay then. <laughs> and um, the David Troughton one, we just lucked out. I'd interviewed David before, and and the and the Troughton family had had actually sometimes been quite reluctant to yeah. do so. And uh, and I remember because I remember being quite excited when I did the Curse of Peladon DVD commentary, and then David wasn't on that. And uh, I don't know if he'd been busy, but I, I, I thought he'd just not wanted to do it. And I'd re- mm. read interviews with him where he said, look, I, I don't really want to do interviews about Doctor Who because it would be talking about my dad, and that's private. And so right. and you, res- you respect that, and you go, fair enough. Mm. And then he did my podcast, and I said, I thought you never wanted to give interviews about Doctor Who. We'd been introduced by a mutual friend. Uh-huh. And, uh, and he said, oh, well, my brother's written a book now, so... Sod it. <laughs> uh, so okay, but 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 then the podcast was the podcast was about him and his career really because mm. um, he's had such a brilliant career Indeed. as an actor. But, but yeah, because yeah. we were there on the day we turned up to talk about Enemy, that I think Ed that that was supposed to be five or six minutes in the finished program, and it ended up lengthening the run of the documentary because we got so much good stuff. Yeah, it was it was just an interview that ran, and he was really welcoming, and he was really no question phased him, mm. no question had him backtracking, and he was really 
honest yes. and really open. And it was lovely. And he just it just seemed to be, I don't know, it, it, the chemistry, everything just seemed to, to mm. work on the day. And then the bit with with uh, the Lismores was, was lovely. And, Ed, you know, I knew that Ed had sort of contrived a, a, a moment there. I, I actually didn't know. Again, I didn't know what I was getting. I knew we'd got something to give to them. Yeah. So I knew we'd get a nice emotional thing for them, a nice payoff, and they were really pleased that we'd done that. Mm. But I didn't know what they would be giving me. I'd say, I'm not going to tell you. It's just, And so we got that, you know, we got that diary with his entries. And yes. uh, and that was, that was again, that was a delight for me to be, oh, wow, I've actually got, mm. again, some new, you know, documentary evidence of Doctor Who. I love that sort of thing. That's yeah. my meat and drink. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think Ed would be the first to admit it was a, the whole riddle thing and all that sort of thing. It was, it was rather contrived, but hopefully a way of sort of breathing life into... You know, there's been so many Talking Heads documentaries about the 60s stuff now mm. of, of, of sort of breathing life into into the way that we do them. And I think as a result of that, it did mean we got some perhaps slightly more interesting interviews than than, than we would have done. Mm. Um, even though, yeah, it's it's obviously quite a contrivance. But I think as well, the thing I don't like about that documentary is I've just been given a new hat. Um, <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'll wear it on the documentary. And it makes me look like I've got a really fat face. And even and I said to him, that hat makes me look fat. He said, it does, doesn't it? It does make you look fat. <laughs> You're supposed to say no, but Ed, Ed will never Ed will never soft sell. He went, yeah, you do. You look really fat in that hat. Never wear that again. I was, oh, well, thanks a lot. Thanks for telling me on the day. Uh, so uh, sadly, that, that, yeah, that's, that's all I'll take from that documentary is that my stupid fat hat face. Uh, and and um, I suppose coming, coming back to the David Troughton piece, it, it, do you, I mean, so, so I guess you went into it with, with some thoughts about what you might want to talk to him about, but, but I guess, uh, you know, as you, as you see the sand shifting, I mean, how, how easy is it for you to respond to that and to start firing other questions in? I mean, does that, does that just come naturally to you or is that something that you've, you've sort of experienced and learnt over a period of time or? Uh, well, no, I, t- I tend not to have anything. I mean, when I did my podcast, I'd have sort of bullet points written down simply yeah. because I wasn't just... A, but interestingly, it would just say Doctor Who and I wouldn't need to write down the Doctor Who questions. <laughs> but 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 because I'd had to, you know, because I'd researched about their stage work and, their, and all of their other stuff, I, you know, I felt the need to know things. But when I interview... Doctor Who people, or I know I don't. I don't have a list of questions even because mm-hmm. I feel that I should. If you know, if all else fails, go. You know, did your kids watch it? What do you remember the director? You know, there's any any number of things you can say. So I, I like to keep it organic. You know, I, I I'm I'm an MC at at a couple of comedy sure. clubs that I do every week. Mm-hmm. I do the same place, uh, the comedy store in Excess Malarkey, very regularly. So I, I, I can't go with prepared stuff because, it, you know, there's a lot of crossover with, with, with regulars sure. in the audience. Yeah. So I sort of talk to the audience and react off the cuff. So I'm I'm not phased by not having anything because I'm, I tend to always, as you and your poor listeners will have noticed, I tend to always be able to find something to say. <laughs> so... So I tend to prefer to keep it organic uh, and conversational rather than have a clipboard and a series of questions, which I which I think put a barrier between me and mm. and and the interviewer. So so it's more of a conversation. So I I never have notes. I only have what's what's up in my in my noggin really. Mm. Okay, so so moving on to the Blu-ray range, and and I have to say. I think that this this Blu-ray range has got me kind of fired up again. I mean, you know, I'm 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 a fan. I'm a lifelong fan. That was that that's sort of guaranteed. I mean, it's too late now to to um, to turn my back on it. But but, <laughs> but I think I think that that 
you know, towards the end of the DVD range, you know, I perhaps didn't cotton on to what what you and Chris were doing fast enough. That 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 you know, here's here's some new stuff. It kind of felt like, as you say, those kind of talking heads films. It, it, it was kind of more of the same. So so actually, you know, the, the new formats and new ideas, you know, full of 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 um, of new content on the Blu-rays. I've I've I found that really invigorating. And you know, one in particular that I thought was revealing was the weekend with Waterhouse, because for a, for someone of my age, I, I grew up in the seventies. Peter Davison, um, I watched him when I was in my teens. Matthew was was very divisive, and I think you know we, we were all envious of him because you know he, we were geeks. He was a geek. Why was why why did he get to do it? Why wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I think also kind of somewhat maligned by the the rest of the team on on the commentaries not not your moderated ones i hasten to add but uh, you know the ones where where peter davison seemed to take the reins um, yeah. in the early part of the, of of the dvd range and it, so it's fantastic to, that um that that your documentary gives him a chance just to to show us you know who he is and what he's like and 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 to see kind of the more sensitive side of him perhaps well yeah i mean it's interesting because there's you know there's only one moderated commentary on the Davis era that's uh, awakening and that's because peter wasn't available to do it because he was doing camelot i think uh, right or spamalot so it's me and eric saywood and, and michael owen morris um convened quite hastily you know but other than that the the dynamic is pretty much the same on all of the yeah the comment the commentaries there which is almost a mirror of the relationships of the tardis crew yeah. you know on the screen so matthew I mean, you know, does say some daft things in order to try and join in. And Peter and Janet <laughs> sometimes perfectly rightly take the mickey out of him. Mm. Uh, and, and Sarah tries to be positive <laughs> and is very polite. Yeah. And obviously when the Blu-ray range came... So, so you know, you've got that sort of covered in the in the, in the the commentaries. And, and then when the Blu-ray range came out... I mean, again, I thought my time was gone. I, I no, never worked for Russell Minton, the exec. So you think, well he'll have people that he'll want to use so just go mm. well that's fine you know my I've, I've had a fair crack of the whip i i wasn't expecting a phone call to be honest with you <laughs> and then ed asked me to do a bit of talking heads on his sontaran experiment documentary because he needed somebody to fill in the right. gaps and, and i'd interviewed rodney bennett and glyn jones both of whom were now dead so i, was, I think i was useful and cheap and was in london for for the afternoon when he was filming it so the gods sort of all came together uh-huh. and, and and their priorities are quite rightly russell's a brilliant producer again he's, he works in telly he's proper proper producer mm. he his first priority was to get any making ofs done that hadn't been done for the dvd range a few missed out for various reasons and i think that was a great call because he's sort of conscious there and going well let's plug some of those gaps and when then when there are no gaps to plug you know what? What shall we do? And as you say, when when they were first announced, I was like, "Oh, okay, I haven't got a Blu-ray player, but uh, you know, that's 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 nice. It'd be nice to have." Mm. And then when I saw what they were doing with them, I was like, "Oh, this is brilliant! This this they've actually this isn't just a cash cow. This isn't just a a, a a way of just flinging it out on the shelves again because Doctor Who's a commodity. Somebody who really cares, Russell." Who I've only met, by the way, once, so I'm not I'm not uh, buffing the ego of, of, of a friend or anything. But who, who who you know has put a lot of work into going. Well, no, we we've got various we've got gaps to fill, and we've got things we can do with this. Uh, and they've all been you know re remastered, and a lot of work's gone into yeah. to them again. And, and then and he got he got his best he got you know he got some really good 
producers, uh, directors, producer, directors on board. So he got Ed and he got and he got Chris and Chris for whatever reason still wanted to work with, <laughs> with me and said, well, and said, well, look, you know, Matthew's an interesting character, and and we both felt the same. We both felt that uh, Matthew never quite got to stand on his own two feet on the the, the, the DVDs mm. in a way. And he missed a few of them as well, I think, yes. the documentaries, because he was in the States. Yes. So there were gaps to fill there. And uh, we said, well, and he's a bit of a character. And again, he's prone to, to, to saying odd things sometimes. And I know Chris emailed him. He didn't want to do it. Mm. I mean, first off, he, he wasn't interested. I think he maybe thought we were, we were going to take the mickey. But he knew me a bit. I'd interviewed him for something before, and and I think I do think that maybe maybe helped that uh-huh. he knew I wasn't, a, you know, a, an ass. But he still didn't want to do it. And Chris is very very good. He's very persuasive. He's mm. very professional, uh, and he did it all properly. And eventually, Matthew agreed, and we went in and just and just said, you know, let's let's meet Matthew on his own on his own terms. Let's not try and push anything too hard. Mm. Let's just see what happens. And you know. And there were lovely, but you know, like, like, and I would probably do it, but you know, I'm going, oh look, Batman, oh look, Dark Shadows, and he's going, yes, but I've got the complete works of Henry James here, and I'm going, yeah, yeah, but come on, Batman, uh, and and that says so much about everything. That says so much about him, about me, about yeah. Doctor Who fans, about about what uh, our slight kind of well, yeah, popular culture, but you know, come on, I mean, it's like you know, there's so much going on there. None yeah. of which is bad, none of which is a character flaw, yeah. but it is quite funny, yeah. and it's sort of full of moments like that. But what I what I particularly liked about it is that actually we didn't get the Matthew who's always trying to sort of join in and say something a bit outrageous on on the commentary I, th- I thought we got a real I think partially because Tim was around yes. and they're obviously a, a, a wonderful and lovely happy couple uh, I, I was really pleased at, at how content yes. he was yes and I think that sort of permeates the film and it's a really nice thing because you might go in. I think a lot of people would go in going, "Oh, but I don't like Adric," and so I'm, I'm you know, prepared. And, and some of the stories about Matthew because he was young when he was doing it. A mm. few people have said mean things about him, and he might have been, you know, I, you know, I think any of us, if we'd found ourselves on the set of Doctor Who as yeah. a seventeen, eighteen-year-old, might have been a bit precocious, and he may, and he may well have been. I don't yeah. know. I wasn't there. You know, most of our precociousness of our youth isn't preserved in amber by eyewitnesses you know because we because nobody cares so i i really like the fact that through all of that you know whatever's been said about matthew and whatever people think about adric actually that stands a testimony to an interesting nice guy who's really loves doctor who who, whose story of of being in and fulfilling his childhood dream is a really interesting one that he tells candidly but at the end of the day all that really matters is that he's a, he's a happy and content guy, you know, who sometimes spills wine over himself at a jazz bar in Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> Hastings, Hastings. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, uh, I mean, again to draw out of him what he liked about the town and 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 to see some of his regular haunts. Yeah, it, it, it humanised uh, a person that that perhaps he'd only seen a caricature of before. Yeah, and that that's all Chris's idea, you know. Chris Chris goes and does a recce and says, right, we're going to do this, 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 and this. And I try and know as little as possible because uh, you don't want it to seem rehearsed and spontaneous. And again, I guess because of the the comedy and the comparing, I I can sort of you know I can react to it. So I you know I had a vague idea of what we were doing, but not really. Uh, and and uh, you know in between takes, it's no, we're not sort of. I, I tend to keep away from 
people so that any com we don't peak we don't have the great conversation off camera yes do you know what i mean so so to keep it fresh really you know mm. although i did you know i did i did sleep the night at theirs and we did have a we did have a chat before i went to bed although i went to bed quite early because i was knackered so we did we did have a chat on the was it the saturday night mm. before i was woken up for for breakfast and, and we pitched another documentary during that documentary uh, uh, with the, with the with the whole cookbook thing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I mean, and, and I do want to talk about the cookbook because, as I mentioned uh, on the one I did with Chris, I mean, the, I watched this with my daughter. Uh, my daughter's in her early teens, and we've watched quite a lot of of the original series together, so she knew quite a lot of the, of the of the people that were on it. But she she really enjoyed it. She really responded to the. To the humour and to the to the situation, and of course she's seen Master Chef, so she got the joke with India Fisher doing the, yeah. the voiceover. But I, I, th- I think you know what I liked most of all about it was, and I said this to Chris, you know, you you can you can do a an out and out spoof, and as he said, I think on on, on the recording, you're not going to get very far with that because. You know, where's 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 the fun in simply sending something up? And and in fact, though there seems to be something very organic about it, it they they actually enjoyed the the task you you set them in 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 terms of the cooking, or you and Chris set them in terms of the cooking, and and also in in some of the 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 pairings, the relationship came out in the course of the task. So you kind of got to see a, a, a little bit about the relationship there. So so I I I really really enjoyed that. Um, I guess I wonder again how what it was like for you in that situation i mean there's a, there's a lot going on there's 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 cooking going on yeah. you're trying to do an interview sort of with the person there's, there's there's a recipe you've got to follow i mean i mean what's what's it what was it like trying to do that it was hard and in fact i think we were supposed to do some of the links when we were doing the the lenny main documentary which was filmed a lot of it at my house right uh, and we were we were going to do the cookbook links as well and i think and we'd had a long day and I think Chris sensed that I was a bit knackered and a bit testy, mm. and he said, "We're gonna we're gonna leave the cookbook because we're 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 not yeah we're gonna do that. I'm gonna come back. I think he was trying to save a bit of cash by doing doing both at the same time, and we ended up not doing so because I think I was a bit I was a bit knackered, and it's you know when you're full on when you're filming in lights and no fresh air and all of that sort of thing, mm. uh, which which is again shows his great sensitivity. Uh, funny enough, it's you've just reminded me. But I said when you said the word spoof. My first potential involvement was with the range was when somebody came to see my show, Mothset, my Doctor Who scarf, uh, and asked to meet up and we had a drink. And, and he said, you know, I, I, I'm involved in the DVD range and, you know, have you got any ideas for sort of spoof comedy type documentaries? And mm. I thought I'd got loads because they'd just done, they'd done the, the Pyramids of Mars one that was very funny. Right, with yes. The, yeah. And, I, and, I, and, and because I'm a comedian, there was a, there was a sort of suggestion, oh, do you want to do some of that stuff? And I had a few ideas and I largely, I decided it was a pretty thankless task, much as I would love to have been involved in the DVD range because it was miles away. I didn't know anybody. I've never been part of organised fandom. I didn't know anybody. Mm. I think sometimes think we all live in the same house and drink in the same pub and are all mates. I, mm. I, I you know, I'm, I'm afraid I got the work on, on, on merit because I didn't know any <laughs> of the people. Yeah. And I actually ended up going, I, d- I don't think I'm going to pitch anything. I don't want to do a spoof because the target audience don't really like them. Unless, you've, unless you're somebody with a, with a name, I think they, they just go, who's this guy? It would be Andr- Adric Syndrome. Why is this guy trying to be funny about Doctor Who? Well, I could be doing that. Mm. But as a result of that meeting, I, 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 you know, I, I, I mentioned, I emailed 
and, and, and I said, oh, why is, why is the war machine's only got these two contributors on it? What about all the, these people? And they went, oh, um, they didn't know they were still alive. And I was like, oh, come on, they're in spotlight. I could have put you in touch with them, <laughs> bloody, bloody, blah. And, that, and out of that came a sort of, oh, I mean, would you ever be interested in moderating one? And I went, God, I dream of that. Some people do Oscar speeches. I'd be on my bike going, welcome to the DVD commentary for Doc 2. So, that, <laughs> so out of that, I got the, the moderating yeah. gig. Which to me was much better because there's no pressure to be funny. You could be a little bit anonymous. You do it best if, if people don't sort of notice you're there sort of sure. thing. So I had been offered sort of comedy stuff. And and actually in the Robophobia documentary, there were a few jokes at the expense of Doctor Who and some of Doctor Who's robots. And I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be some smart-ass comedian taking yeah. the mickey out of Doctor Who. I've seen loads of crap documentaries on the telly that do that. And I'm <laughs> not interested in that. I love Doctor Who. I'm not going to start. I, I get a bit annoyed when fans sort of sort of go, yeah, isn't it a bit rubbish? And you go, well, what are you doing here then? Do you know what I, mean? <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think I'm better than Doctor Who. I am, you know, I, I love Doctor Who. I'm in Doctor Who's shadow. I'm, I'm not going to, I might amongst my friends if, you know, if I'm in a, in a chortly mood, but uh, no. So anyway, so then comes along the cookbook. Now, years down the line, we suggest the cookbook as a joke in Matthew Waterhouse's kitchen. And Chris goes, I actually think that's a really good idea. And I went, all right, fine, is, you know, again, thinking I'm doing my last documentary. Chris has come up with another idea and he pitches it and it happens. To be honest, I thought people would hate it. I thought, you know, I get away with being on the Havoc thing because it's getting the old team back together, the Peter mm. R. Newman finding out a few things. There's always a re- me dicking about with the Doctor Who cookbook, you know, I, I, and you could sort of go, well, you know, people might like to see the stars from mm. Doctor Who with the Doctor Who cookbook, that's one thing. But that comedian guy's all, all, already on the blooming commentaries and already on this, that, oh, we're sick of him. I actually thought it might be the time people just down tools and went, right, we've had enough of him, <laughs> Get rid- burn him. And I, I didn't think people would be interested. I thought it was too arcane. Mm. I, I didn't think people would like the, the humour of it particularly. And I kept trying to stick in like the bit with the, the Richard Herndl, you know, the, the sort of, oh, we've got a bit of historical stuff here. We've got a letter from Richard Herndl. That yeah. was what I thought would be the stuff that people liked. But people like, of course, people like the regulars and they like watching them at conventions and the banter. And, mm. and Chris, you know, he's, he's a very smart guy. He, he cast it very well. Janet and Sarah are good. It was actually really nice having it in Sarah's kitchen yeah. because it was Sarah's turf and Sarah too often because she's so polite and lovely and nice, yeah. uh, you know, takes a back seat. Well, we're in Sarah's place and yeah. I met her first and then Janet sort of came in and wielded the knife. So I thought that was automatically a slightly different dynamic. Yes, yes and, and, and also I think, you know, Sarah kind of knows what she's doing in a cooking scenario. I mean... She I, does. You, you, so again, that gives her a little bit of a, a front foot, I suppose, in that. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed Sarah's company in that one. And I do sometimes think she she, she takes a back seat. And, and I, I felt I found out a lot more about her and her character. Hmm. And Fraser is good fun, so yes. I knew I'd have a, have a, had a laugh with him. I really like Terry, Terry Malloy. Yes. Um, and he entered into the spirit of it. And then you've got, I mean, I've got Doctor Who and Perry in Perry's yeah. house cooking, of course, not the recipe for the book. <laughs> yeah. And had a lovely time. But I, I wasn't sure, you know, I thought people might go, if you're going to spend the money to get Colin Baker... Get him to tell us about the making of the two doctors. Don't get him to cook a cheesecake. But um, people responded really nicely to it. So I'm delighted, but I was worried. Not because I had a problem with the quality of the programme. Hmm. I, I thought it was, you know, Chris is, Chris is a very, very good programme maker and he gets very good cameramen and, uh, you know, shoots it on good stock and makes it look, you know, they look they look proper. 
Yes. He's, 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 he saves money on the presenters. And, <laughs> um, and, and, and it's been, people have loved it. So great. Yeah. And it's created another strand, the revisited strand. Yes. So I've got the, I've got the living with a companion strand. I've got the looking for somebody yes. we don't know much about strand. And I've got the revisited strand. So having gone from going, well, you know, I've done my last, I'm now sort of going, I've got three dangling strands now. Yeah, yeah. To the extent that there was a, a, a box set out the other day and one of the reviews said, there's no Toby Haydock documentary on this one. And I, I'm like, well, no, there's, there's not supposed to, I'm not supposed to be on everyone, <laughs> but are people now expecting me to be on everyone? And that's quite nice that my, I, I even get mentioned in on a, the review of a box set I'm not on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it's, the, it's the polar opposite of the, uh, of the sniffy review for about Levine. Uh, yes. No, saying, why, hasn't, why hasn't he done one? <laughs> yes. Yeah, very I good. don't, and I don't mind a sniffy review, but I, I thought the, I thought the parameters of that review yeah. were un, ungenerous and unkind. Yes. Uh, but there we are. Yeah. So, well, in the spirit of your train experience, uh, and and also because when I was speaking with Jack Rayner some months ago, she was kind enough to t- talk to me for this as well. She mentioned um, that she'd been speaking to you um, on the subject of missing episodes. My uh, my silly suggestion. So so for another of your living with, how yeah. about how about Phil Morris finding Phil's film films? Sorry, finding <laughs> Phil's films. <laughs> well, well, Phil isn't. Fu- I mean, Doctor Who seems to follow me about. I mean, one of the one of the reasons I've been involved with the animated releases is not because I'm the go-to Doctor Who guy. It's because Anne Marie Walsh, who produces the, the animations lives literally five minutes down the road from me. Yeah. And Martin Geraghty, who does the production, the, the character designs, lives about 15 minutes away from me. So I was just on hand to uh, to do a bit of a commentary with them when the Sharda thing came out. It was just, oh, we could do that for cheap because they could just come to my house. Sure. So, and Phil lives in Wigan, uh, yeah. so not, not far from me at all. So I, I would happily go and live with Phil... And when he puts me to bed, I'll sneak out the back window <laughs> and uh, and dig up his garden yeah, and yeah. see what he's got. Do you know? What? I honestly don't know. I love the missing episodes. I love yes. the hunt for the missing episodes. I love the mystery that surrounds them. Of course, I've heard all of the different rumours, uh, and you know, I've done the bit of sitting in the pubs and going, "Well, I'll tell you what I've heard," and then you <laughs> discover everybody's heard that at different points and yeah. it's a Chinese whisper version. And you think you're you think you're in, in possession of you're privy to uh, you know, facts close to a source and then you realise that everybody's heard yeah. variations of a similar story. But I've spoken to Phil a few times and yes. I mean he's uh, he's he's the sort of um confidently enigmatic, I think, better than anybody. Yes. And I I mean I don't know what the the, the deal is. I mean I, I think if if there was nothing more to to be found, he would just go. There's nothing more to be found. Hmm. But that said, if there's more to be found, could we have it, please? Because none of us are getting any younger. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know. But I, I, I love the mystery, and I, and I, I, I get as excited by the uncovering of an old episode as as I do about uh, the broadcast of a new one. Because uh, you know, I've, I've, I've imagined and fantasized and poured over pictures. And you know, listen to soundtracks and and conjured my own images of some of those things. And as we as we know, when they turn up, there are so many tiny little golden moments that we couldn't even possibly imagine. Mm. 
uh, contained within, you know, even even the most unassuming Underwater Menace episode two, you know, that nobody yes. was particularly bothered yeah. about. Um, Galaxy 4-3, that brilliant monologue that, that Marga, Stephanie Bidmead has, that, that's yes. absolutely terrific. There's some great... And, and I remember watching with a friend The Web of Fear when it came back. And uh, after episode four finished, I was I got a bit tipsy by then. So I was a bit a bit loved up anyway. But I looked at him and I said, I think that's the best episode of Doctor Who I've ever seen. Uh, and it was it was the first Target book that I read. And I, I was so worried that it was going to be a disappointment because, yeah. uh, you know, it was one of the lost greats. And mm. I'd found Tomb of the Cybermen quite disappointing when that had come back mm. because... I was at an age to be disappointed, yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think Tomb's anything like as good as as, as Webb. But Webb was great. I lo- I was so pleased with how good Webb continued to be after the very good episode one that we'd all seen so many times. Mm. I love the missing episodes. I'd love to, yeah. I'll, I'll, living with Phil Morris, I'll do kidnapping Phil Morris. I'll do, <laughs> uh, I'll do whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I spent far too long worrying about missing episodes in the course of my life. I, I, I met... Feel very briefly just over a year ago because I just thought I've I've got to go and see him at the BFI because having having heard all about him I've, I've just got to see you know what's what's he like in uh, in person and I have to say I, f- I found him strangely charismatic I mean I I, I um uh, he, he's he's a big guy with a, with a big personality and kind of you know one on one. He, he's, a, he's an interesting guy so yeah he's he's the sort uh, yeah i met him for the first time we did a commentary on um one of the reign of terror episodes we did a missing episodes commentary and that he was just he hadn't found anything there. well i think mm. he had but he, he yeah. said he found anything there sure but he was this guy that everyone was talking about and paul venezius knew him and, and paul was coming to do the do the track mm. and um I, I, he's not what i imagined i'd heard about this guy who was going around blah blah, blah but he was this sort of yeah, confident Liverpudlian businessman with a very professional air about him, and as mm. you say, a confidence. He's the sort of person you want knocking on doors at foreign TV stations, <laughs> going, uh, "I've I've come to relieve you of your film cans." <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And it and it does take a certain you know doggedness and a certain confidence that I certainly don't think I I have. Yes. I don't think I have the balls to do it. Mm. Uh, and I hope that you know I hope he's you know his leads. Uh, uh, and his and his doggedness pr- produce produce uh, another hall uh, that as joyous as uh, enemy and uh, web proved to be. Sure, yeah, yeah, indeed. So, Toby, another one of the films that you did was was looking for Lenny, the documentary about about Lenny Main, who was uh, director in, in Doctor Who, and, and you know, over the years we heard a lot of people who enjoyed working with him, and, and we got the odd story here and there, but uh, it was interesting. You know, going into your documentary to realise how little we'd actually heard about him over those years. Yeah, well, I'd, I had him down as the, you know, the Australian who said "Holy Flaming Cow." One of my favourite moments in life, actually, is that was Barry Letts' anecdote, and it was right. him that coined "Holy Flaming Cow." But Terence sort of nicked it on the commentary for Curse of Peladon. Uh, I said, and and and, uh, and Lenny Main said, "Holy flaming cow!" And uh, uh, and I think that was at the end of episode two, or and there was a and and, and then it broke. Uh, and John Kelly said, "Okay, thanks everybody. We'll we'll start recording the next episode." And Barry Letts, who is an absolute gentleman, just read what he actually said was, "Holy beep beep." 
uh, and having <laughs> which is because it was sort of him going that was my anecdote terence and you even nicked my my sort of my changing words uh, but it was also it was a delight to hear barry letts who was a, a calm buddhist yeah. intellectual um use lenny main's actual language and 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 i felt like i'd and again uncovered a new piece of uh, you know what the actual words were yeah and i think i felt a bit bad for lenny main that all we knew about him was is that he was dead and that he died under tragic circumstances and mm. i remember uh, that nobody had ever i think that we'd only ever found one photo of him right uh, and i had interviewed andrew morgan and liked him and he'd he'd been very touching about lenny mm -hmm. uh and he said he'd got some pictures of him and then i interviewed dr tyler and mrs ollis because yeah. they from the three because they were married rex robinson and patricia Pryor. and then i interviewed mr ollis and unbeknownst to any of them, they lived within spitting distance of each other, but didn't know. They'd known each other back in the day. Right. Uh, so so I, I was sort of thinking, well, if we were, I've always got an eye on a budget, you know, mm. and I was thinking, well, if we were to do a documentary, you, you've, you've, got, you've got those. And sadly, Rex Robinson, who played Dr. Tyler, sub subsequently died after the interview mm. and that's shame because we could have had mrs ollis with a screen husband and an actual husband which would have been very amusing yeah uh, and i thought it would be lovely that those guys to get together but also i was able to sort of say to chris and to russell look if we do lenny main you know you don't have to start from scratch you've got these two who live quite close to each other i knew that laurie webb who's amazing at 93 mr ollis he he knows bernard cribbins and bernard cribbins live not far away so i thought well hang on we could do we could do those two and cribbins that's i mean that's you know you know that's you could do all that in a day mm. um, i knew andrew would be a good interviewee and i knew that pat robinson mrs ollis was still in touch with the twins because when I'd interviewed them, they said, oh, Lenny's twins, it's their birthday next mm. week. So, oh, God, you're you're that close to them still. So I was able to say to Chris, well, look, not only have you got these actors, but they've got a lead to the family. Mm. You know, go and do your magic. And then I take, <laughs> you know, because, again, I then have to take a step back and yeah. discover everything as I do. And I didn't meet the family until I meet them on camera. Right. And I know that that was a, a difficult one for Chris because you know you you, you say we're going to do a documentary called Looking for Lenny uh, about somebody whose body was never found. So you know there's an unfortunate thing there in the title where you know I think they would have been quite right in thinking, hang on, what is this? Are there going to be reconstructions? You know, and I and I think you know that they, they they may have worried that we were going to be there to sort of piece together what happened, and it was Chris who very cleverly went, we'll start with Andrew and we'll start with the thing we all know, which mm. was that Lenny died under tragic circumstances. And then we'll go backwards. And I thought that was a stroke of genius. It wasn't the documentary I'd imagined when I thought we'll go looking for Lenny. I thought you, the natural thing you do as a program maker is, is find out about the guy and then go, and of course, then Lenny died and, and do, you know, cover the fact that he died tragically. And I thought it was so much more sensitively done and so much more interesting to go, well, we know this, we know it's bad and we're not going to get a sort of money shot by ending on that. We'll, we'll actually, we'll go completely the other way around. And he managed to, you know, talk, talk the family into being involved who, who, for whom it was still very, very raw. And it mm. was a very emotional situation that we went into. And I, I think the family were really good. And, and I know that the two daughters 
it was something for him as gonna and I got a very nice card from from Sadie afterwards and I and I sort of think uh, we did some good I think we uh, it's, I don't this isn't can I swear <laughs> say 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 what you want to say this isn't this isn't bullshit I think to say we they're never going to get over their father's death or anything like that, but we I think we helped with something that had perhaps not been talked about in a way or, or perhaps that we're saying oh we I think we did something good there I genuinely do that's mm. not that's not bullshit uh, and we we both got very very nice notes back and and as I say we knew even as they were doing it that they weren't sure they weren't sure they wanted to do it and as they were doing it I'm not sure they that they knew exactly what, what it was going to be that they that they were doing. And I think, because Chris put together such a good programme, and he got Elizabeth Seal, who's a bloody legend, who was amazing, who still sends me emails. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had Cribbins on as well, who was so pleased to talk about Lenny. You mm-hmm. know, again, it's the, the people, it's the fact that, you know, we can probably glean an, as, as much as we can about the making of the monster of Peladon from, from the paperwork. <laughs> but I think... But I think there we got a really interesting journey and a really yes. sad story, and we and we put flesh onto the bones of a guy who was the holy flaming cow guy, mm. um, and 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 I thought I think captured a really really good soul, and I love the fact that Doctor Who lets us lets us do that. Mm. And I think I think perhaps if nothing else, you've you've shown the family that this is a person that that, that still matters, that people still care about. And he and the people who made Doctor Who do still matter, and it surprises me sometimes because we 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 talk for ages. You know, sometimes you email people and go, "Does anybody know where there's a photo of Lenny Main?" And blah 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 blah, blah. And, and you know, and, and there's a whole living truckload of them. You know, in a suitcase. <laughs> right? And and I suppose I don't know if we never thought to look or we never knew how to get in touch with people. Our, our research methods have improved and, and resources are, are better. And you know, in the early days of Doctor Who research, it was enough to track down the you know the living producers and directors mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. We can afford to go a little bit deeper now because some of the work has been done. Some of the people aren't available anymore, and and so you know the making ofs have all been made. So we can sort of go well. Let's let's try and find the family of of, of a director. But how? interesting that they don't realize that peter r newman's family didn't realize that he was a total mystery to us whereas to them mm. you know he'd never gone away in their minds you know so you don't know what's gold dust until you know one one person's that's why you know somebody's probably got an episode of the myth makers in their loft because to us it's a prized possession that we've been looking for yeah. to them it's, they don't think twice about you know yeah, yeah. Uh, because you know, I might have some really important piece of sport memorabilia kicking around here. I won't know it from Adam because it's not my it's not my thing. But if in twenty years' time somebody goes, "You've got that dart," is it a thing? I don't know. Uh, so, so you know, stuff that's vital to us is, of course, you know, people don't realise it's important. And yeah, mm. I think I think they didn't realise that uh, that we would know who Lenny was and and, and all of him and things like that. So, and yeah, I'm, I I think Chris. Chris handled that very, very sensitively and enabled us to get the show that that we got. And I'm I'm really happy. I'm really happy. And I'm very happy that Mr. and Mrs. Ollis were reunited. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's great. So look, I, I'm, I mean, I've, I've, I've occupied you now for for probably longer than than I agreed to. Um, All right. One of the one of the um, things that Chris talked about on his chat that we had was who's doctor who revisited the he mentioned that you were on that i mean i don't know if you want to yeah. talk about that specifically or or if you want to talk about other stuff that's coming up or 
you know, is, is there something you'd like to trail? I don't mind. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anything else Doctor Who-y coming up, do I? I've done. Uh, yeah, no. The only thing in the can that's not out from me is is who's Doctor Who revisited. So there'll be some more reviews going. There's not a Toby Haydock documentary on this box, yet, <laughs> which is fine. I mean, I do sort of help with them all. Yeah, I'm. I, you know, Chris will always send me a list of actors going. You know, who's still alive, and mm. I'll go. Uh, not only they're still alive, this is where they lived. You obviously know them. So, so I, I you know, I, yeah. I do help. I help out behind the scenes yeah. as and when when I can. But the Who's Doctor Who revisited? That was, I, I think, because the cookbook had gone down so well, and and you know, Chris thought, well, let's have a strand where we do, you know, look at sort of Doctor Who Arcana uh, that that might not ordinarily get its own documentary, but 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 have a spin on it and. Uh, I sort of thought, oh, that's interesting because I'd obviously watched Who's Doctor Who largely for the clips when I was younger, and it and it is the first ever documentary about Doctor Who, and it is quite revealing, and it's it's very much of its time. It's very nineteen seventies, you know, yeah. um, with that sort of gr- grubby film of kids in playgrounds and all that sort of thing, and you know, Philip Pinchcliffe's brilliant bit in it where Philip Pinchcliffe goes, well, you know, we work on the assumption that fifty percent of our special effects won't work. You go, this is <laughs> miles away from Doctor Who Confidential, where they just go, everything's marvelous, <laughs> you, you know. And uh, and it's a you know and it's a proper arts program with a proper yeah. sociological bent and all of that sort of thing, and and Chris got got an amazing array of people involved, and there's something very touching. I think we we talked before we started recording about the passage of time and you know Doctor Who is so entrenched in our childhood. Mm. I, you know I I think I'm more it's because I'm a middle aged man as well, but you know I'm I'm aware of so much of sort of time flying by and because Doctor Who is something that you know keeps me takes me back to a young place because I was playing Doctor Who as a kid just talked to you about the web of fear and that you know I, I played that in my bedroom and behind my sofa and flown myself about pretending to be in the underground all that sort of stuff that's still there that kid's mm. still there but you know the the guy that looks back at him has got no hair on top and falling <laughs> apart um, and because that documentary is about kids, you know, and it interviews kids in school playgrounds. Um, we found some of them, and I found it incredibly moving to be back at a school with those funny school-sized chairs where everything's, you know, suddenly like you're invaders in Lilliput, uh, with these gr- very nice, charming, rather touched by the fact that anybody even had a clue that they'd done this thing Mm. and one of whom it was a you know it was actually quite a profound and important part in her life that that changed the direction of it Uh, and the fact that they were quite emotional and and the fact that we got certain people as well which i won't ruin for you yeah And, and again chris got a chris got a great roster of people and covers the whole Gamut, not not just on screen talent but off screen talent and 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 it's it's really comprehensive. I mean, it's as long as the documentary it's about. And I also think it's a great wheeze that we're doing a documentary about a documentary. <laughs> I mean, is 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 when they do Doctor Who on microchip in in forty years time, are they going to be wheeling me out in my bath chair and I'll be doing documentaries about the documentaries that I made? <laughs> so yeah. you know, 
some some android fan will be going you know the first android fan presenter will be going i i got into doctor who because i watched uh, <laughs> you know who's doctor who revisited and i'll go oh i remember that very well you know? <laughs> uh, so and and i but i i did find it find it very very moving one particular uh, sequence which is not it's not a big t- you know tearjerker in the traditional sense it's not about a tragedy or anything mm. like that but it's about you know people who are now older than me you know talking about themselves as eight-year-olds or whatever mm. and it's I've, i and i came away and i said to chris i think that's my favorite one that i've done which would surprise me because i sort of got into this because you know i don't really think of myself as a, as a presenter or researcher or any of those things i'm a doctor who fan so you know most of the doctor who stuff that i do is is largely because it means i get to consort with my childhood heroes mm. and uh, that's sort of what's in it for me you know doctor who is not really my I'd hate to think of Doctor Who as my my livelihood. I never do it. For, you know, I, I'm lucky. I I have a job and a career outside of Doctor Who, so this is my sort of my paid hobby, if you like. So, but it's you know, if it ever becomes a sort of tawdry thing that I'm just doing because it's my job, I think that would be sad, and I think that would show on on screen. This for me is me. You know, this is this is me saying to the kid I was who was wasn't particularly happy and wasn't in circumstances that were particularly great childhood wise but I had this one thing which was Doctor Who and I hoped that somehow one day you know I would be you know Doctor Who would be part of my life and it's I you know my my uncle met Tom Baker in a lift and I was like my god imagine that that must be the best thing ever Mm. and I as a 46 year old am able to in a way link with that eight-year-old yes. kid and go oh you know tom baker will email you and he'll go what's an email i better invent that but do you know what i mean you know tom baker will say some very nice things to you and you know terence Dix will say these nice things to you and mm. you know you'll get when you've got to play on the radio maureen o'brien will send you an email saying this and you know, and those are that that's what i'm in it for yeah and i and i and 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 so so the fact that there's nobody from doctor who in this documentary i thought well it'd be interesting but you know it's uh sort of more of a sociological thing maybe and I actually I found it again very full of human human stories that were a sort of privilege to to be an observer of mm. so I hope people like that one because it's one again I didn't have massive expectations of and and it, it, it's it's I'm really pleased with how it's come out sure I was thinking about what you said earlier about how you know the people who make the DVDs and and Blu-rays don't all live in the same house, and uh, you know, and, and famous <laughs> people in fandom. I mean, it feels in a way that there's, there's a there are a lot of Doctor Who fans in this country, and we all have a shared experience. And uh, when we when we when we finally meet up and talk to each other, you know, it, it's as if we've we've had this this thing all our lives, and and yet we've never met before. And yes. uh, so, so yeah, so so on the one hand, no, of course, we don't all live uh, in one big family. And yet, in a way, we also do. Well, that was the big surprise about and, and this all of this involvement that I have with the range, because I wasn't part of Doctor Who fandom, was goes back to my one man show, Mothset, my Doctor Who scarf, which I did as a comedy show. I was going to do an hour's comedy at, at, at Edinburgh and I because I, 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 I thought it was about time I did. Hmm. And a friend of mine said, do what you know. And and he said, and you know Doctor Who. And I went, really? And I wrote a show that was a sort of party political broadcast for the Doctor Who party. And my, <laughs> and my, and my friend helped me with it. And, and we did various iterations of it in previews, as you do with Edinburgh shows. And one night driving back, he went, 
I tell you what you've got to do. You've got to take out every joke that it, that only Doctor Who fans will get. He said the most interesting part of this is the stuff where you talk about your childhood and your kids now. And he said, tell the story chronologically because we were doing it backwards. We were doing jokes that work backwards and time travel because I thought it would be clever. It might have been clever. It wasn't funny. Uh, and uh, and he said and he said tell it in order. And this was a complete you know top to bottom rejig and I resist I went really oh god uh, and he was absolutely right because the reason that show was successful was because people came to see it and went that was my life as well I hadn't intended to write that I I always do jokes I'm, as I say I'm a compare at the same place every week I have to talk about what's happened to me that week so my comedy is very by its nature autobiographical because I that's all I can sometimes <laughs> I haven't had time to watch the news and go oh I shall do something clever about Europe I go oh I had trouble shopping today and and so I wrote this for, you know this thing that's got loads of jokes in it but was was a true story that had this seam running through it uh, and and it, it came together quite late in the day but people came back afterwards and said even though they'd lived a different place to me, different background for me, and sometimes, you know, 10 years before or 10 years after, but the stories were pretty much the same. A kid who didn't quite fit in, somebody who'd had some sort of loss in their life, somebody, you know, somebody who wasn't particularly good at sport or somebody who had this ridiculous memory for things and that worked to make them stick out at school a little bit or whatever. And, and sometimes people, are, like a, a, a mother took her kids and they were the Doctor Who fans, she wasn't, but she said, oh, but I never had a proper relationship with my dad and I went to a school where I didn't quite fit in. So the Doctor Who stuff didn't mean anything to her but the the sort of the stuff that we have in common underneath that was enough mm. to propel her through the show and the doctor who jokes were were not specific enough or if they were specific the comedy was in the fact that they were so bloody specific it didn't matter it was the specificity rather than the fact that it was doctor who that made it funny so so the the, the, the and, and that i i'd not set out to do i'd not set out to do something where people went oh that was me as well but it turned out that that was the thing that, that made it do as, as well as it did, which was a huge surprise to me. I was in a, a tiny little venue in a cave in Edinburgh at, a, at a, not a particularly good time slot, mm. and I, I had a sold-out show that did really well. But mm. that, that, that I, you know, I was going up to Edinburgh just because I'd been a comic for 10 years and I thought it was about time that I did, mm. but I went with no expectations at all. And then that's when the Doctor Who DVDs were coming out, and somebody noticed, and boom, 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 and a, a snowball effect. But uh, as I say, every time I thought it was a, a one-off <laughs> or my last one. <laughs> okay, well, look, th- thanks so much for talking to me. It, it's been it's been fantastic, and and uh, you know, it's, it's it's great to be able to hear from you, and to get uh, your perspective on those films. Well, I um, hope it's been of interest to people. <laughs> I, I'm, sh- I'm absolutely certain it will be. I remember listening to your podcast podcast that um, at the end of it you were won't to ask your guests if there was a charity you know that they would like people to contribute towards I wonder if that's you know perhaps you never got the chance to 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 promote your own ah, uh, and um, I wonder if that's something you want that you want to mention uh, in our well, conversation I'll, well all right I'll mention it but on on the proviso that I, I you know if you're listening to this down the line when we're all free from the shackles of the coronavirus and people have a disposable income once again. Yeah. Because I don't know, don't know about you, but I've just had all my work cancelled. Uh, so there's absolutely no expectation to people uh, to, to stick their hands in their pockets other than to keep a roof over their head. But uh, if if you could take a look at... I don't know if they have a, just a, a, a donation page at the moment, but there's a, char- a charity called Triple C that is run by my partner who is a disabled actress who tries to raise 
awareness and make opportunities for disabled performers mm. uh, and triple c uh, is the creative confidence collective they organize casting sessions and advice and meetings with producers and stuff for disabled performers and that's a that's a very good charity that that also does other work with sort of disabled people in the community that she founded uh, and my charity is the psoriasis association because i've been hospitalized with the pernicious skin condition psoriasis uh, and uh, they've been very good to me so those are the two even if you just look at their work yeah. and if you can't donate or if you know somebody who is a budding disabled performer uh, who feels that um, they're not represented or that there aren't any opportunities the opportunities are starting to come and a lot of them come through triple c and dank which is uh, the disabled artist networking community that is part of uh, the work that my partner does so uh, yeah those are the plugs okay cheers yeah no i i, I absolutely echo what you say i mean uh, at this time you know people have to 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 find a way of making ends meet and there's certainly no expectation that um you know we're saying that you have to contribute anything but yeah it's i think it's always good to 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 promote these things because uh, it's very easy for them to pass under the radar yeah yeah well thank you for giving me the opportunity so to do well i hope that was all right for you yeah, it was absolutely splendid toby thanks uh, and and people will love it i'm sure Yeah, so I mean, essentially, I, I will edit it, and most of it will be my, um, you know, terrible uh, stammering over questions and removing a hell of a lot of ums and ers because uh, I'm not especially professional. Um, but I, uh, I, I, but I, I do exactly the same with me on the Who's round. So I think it's a presenter's, uh, it's a presenter's own self consciousness that rather than anything peculiar to you. <laughs>